I know you don't say Maryville, Tennessee, south of Knoxville. Uh, I believe you say Maryville, and some people correct me to say Merville. Um, and I don't want to tell anybody how to say that, but this week's recording comes from the kitchen table of my friend Jamie Weiss in Maryville, Tennessee. So I was traveling through there, go to a wedding in Nashville, my first cousin once removed, and uh, wanted to stop by and talk to Jamie and record a little bit. So we had a great chat. Maryville, Maryville, Maryville. Anyway, coming up. Once we are adopted, our legal ties to our family are completely severed. Not just to our parents, but to every biological family member, past, present, and future. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hi there, I'm Stuart Watson and welcome to Man Listening. Jamie Weiss and I are part of a group of people, including birth mothers, uh, adopted people, people who are interested in the issue of adoption, um, who are banding together to try to change one part of the law in one state, and that is to allow people who were adopted to have the exact same rights as people who were foster kids or orphans or any other citizen, and that is to have access to the original documentation of your birth. Just imagine if you didn't know where you were born. You didn't know you were presented with a piece of paper that said you were born in one state and you were actually born in another. It's very disorienting and it's very difficult to do family history. So uh, Jamie and I talk about it, uh, that a good bit, along with other things we share in common. She's really sharp. She's really dialed in on this issue and very articulate about it. Jamie Weiss. Where were you born? In Norfolk, Virginia. How do you know? Well, the first time I came to know that, I was in college. And... Uh, later had that confirmed when I found my mother, who I did not know since I was adopted. And she confirmed that. I later also was able to get a copy of my original birth certificate. Did you always know you were adopted? I did. I did. I was around four, five years old when my mom's friend, she had a son who was around my age, maybe a year older. He, I don't know if he was telling me I was adopted or maybe he just was talking to me about adoption. I don't know. Somehow I guess adoption came up. And so that's when I found out, but I don't remember. I don't remember that conversation. <laughs> so then my parents talked to me, but I don't remember any of that. But like I had a little book, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Chosen Baby. I have the same book. You do have that book. I do. In fact, I should get it and show it to you <laughs> because not only do I have the book, my mom went through and marked out all of the names on every page and replaced them with 
my dad's name, my mom's name, and my name. Interesting. Throughout the entire book. And so she would read that book to you? I guess I don't really remember her reading it to me, but I had this strange thing around the book. I knew that it was, it was like in her closet. It was kind of, kind of hidden in there and I would kind of go and, and search for it. I think I felt some way that it was going to help me find some answer. Your other picture books, did your parents tuck them in the closet or were they? No. So this was a different book. This different. was like mm -hmm. magical powers or something. Mm -hmm. uh, the only books that I remember being hidden in the closet were that book and some book about like how bodies change like puberty sex <laughs> kind of book or something or another that was like for kids that's all I remember being so the chosen baby and the sex book were the two <laughs> books that were in the closet yes oh my god they were the, the secret library but uh, but yeah my mom read to me all the time but I don't ever remember her reading that book to me you have a tattoo on your wrist what no, is on that both oh yeah what is the one on your right wrist? So this one actually is eternal life. Uh-huh. But it has, but it's not just the infinity. It has a... Like, yeah. It says life right here. Oh, it says so, life. Yeah. So eternal and life. And what does that mean to you? Um, for me, that's as a Christian that I have eternal life through Jesus Christ and salvation. And, and so. uh, what is the other question? That is adopted in Hebrew. Uh-huh. Can't imagine why I have that. <laughs> did you get them at the same time? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, what does your faith, how has your faith been able to help you to sort of navigate this world? In, in adoption healing. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's, there's a mixed bag there. So my faith, is strong and I believe that um, even even in the times where I felt alone um, even before I ever knew you know that the, when I was in the womb and my, my mom is stressed because she doesn't know you know what she's gonna do how is she gonna be able to take care of me and ultimately deciding she doesn't feel she can and and gives me up for adoption and and then I go to a new family and I'm I'm stressed as a baby um, experience experiencing that um, severage um, from my mother and um, being relinquished that even in all of that I was never alone God was with me he he knew he did not cause that to happen but he knew what was going to happen, and he was always there with me. Uh, on my worst days, on my best days, that he's always with me. Now, when you talk about faith, that also usually brings in the church itself. Um, so, as a child, that special chosen savioristic narrative of let's, um, you know, being adopted is, is, is being saved from a, a worse life and then let's 
let's go save all the all the orphans everywhere around the world and all of that um, that is is pretty big in, a, in the church realm and I definitely that that plays into those feelings again where it's being placed upon you how you should feel and and um, uh, I, I fully bought into that like I said as a kid I felt special I felt chosen I fully bought into all of it and I fully bought into the um, the orphan narrative and let's save orphans around the world so in the last few years and I'll say even when I was a younger age when my husband and I were were married newly married uh, we talked about having children we talked about only having one child there was I definitely wanted to have a biological child because I didn't know anybody biologically related to me I definitely wanted to do that we talked about only having one child and then if we had any more we could adopt because I wanted to save some other child like I had been saved and give them a better life right and um, we had been very close to moving into that process of like let's try to adopt and um, one as an international uh, child uh, another being whatever if that was here if that was international whatever uh, that didn't happen for multiple reasons we didn't push forward into that but now that I start to process everything and, and also just start to become aware and learn more I have come to learn how like the orphan narrative is not um, true and so then that's that's hugely pushed in the church and that makes you question question things that you're being taught at, at church you know or, or, or programs that they're participating in that come from bigger you know outside sources like Southern Baptist Convention or you know certain churches and things like that that get pushed down into the smaller churches or people are kind of just repeating these narratives you know it's like a like a game of telephone almost it's just like this big organization shares it with the larger churches and the larger churches have these big programs and then they're sharing that with these smaller churches and it just goes on and on and on you even have Christian concerts where they're um, pushing the adop adoption narrative. Um, anyway, so you start to question that. You start to learn how a lot of orphans really aren't or orphans. Uh, over 80% of what we have been taught to believe are orphans in the world actually really are not orphans and they do have at least uh, one living parent. Uh, and even if not that, they have other family or community that can care for them. And if we spent the money we're spending to ship them overseas, yeah. right there where they are, we could have preserved oh. the families and right. do the all manner of things. But that doesn't give in. us the same feel good. Right. We can't so parade that. them around at church. Right. Can't take the Vietnamese, Chinese, Russian, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. African. Exactly. So you don't get that pat on the back. So I've had to address that within my own self of, you know, saviorism that I 
had myself of wanting to to go save i mean i think everybody to some degree wants you want to help children that are in need i mean who doesn't want to help a child that's in need the problem is these kids aren't in need <laughs> and why do i feel such this need to save everybody um myself but also that's just as a general problem within the church to some degree there's that i've had to address and then also so once i have i've processed a lot within my own adoption realizing that it wasn't all just about being special and chosen that you know actually i could have been raised in my biological family they weren't you know <laughs> the mafia or some horribly damaged people they were really not that different from my adoptive family now my adoptive parents when they adopted me they were at a different point in life than my biological parents were when i was conceived and born we have not talked about the whole second part of this that you and i are working you're working a lot <laughs> harder than i am uh to for to get one thing changed in one state and that is for allow to allow people like you and I as a matter of course the same as any other citizen uh, to have the original documentation of their birth the original birth certificate without having to go to like I did lawyers and courts and judges and orders court orders and pegging a bunch of money and mm -hmm. taking years to do this to simply when you turn 18 years old, let's see the fact of what this piece of paper said that was generated by the state. Let's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in recovery we say we're as sick as our secrets. So what's the big secret, you know? Right. So why is that important to Jamie? It's important to me, for one, um, on, a, on a personal level, is being able to see that document is proof of my existence, that I'm real, that I didn't fall from the sky, I wasn't found in the cabbage patch, as my parents would like to joke about, you know, wanting to just have this feeling of being real. Because there is a, a common theme of adoptees speaking about just not feeling real you kind of feel d detached and just floating and like I don't belong anywhere exactly right and so where did I really come from and when and when we've been our our, our story's been either withheld from us or just you know unknown to us for whatever reason that document is our truth and so for one it's just it's knowing you know who and where I came from that my existence is real and having my truth. And then additionally, for myself and just for, for everyone else that, that's adopted, is just having that you know, equal right to our own documents. I, I just really see it as, as, a, as a human right that you know to know where who and where you came from and also to be able to walk into vital statistics or to the courthouse wherever it might be that you go to apply for your birth certificate 
and we should all be able to fill out the same form and pay the same money, $20, $35, $50, whatever it is, to get the copy um, and not have to have this separate class of citizens as adopted persons where you have to get a lawyer and you have to pay thousands of dollars and you have to go to court and, and take all of this time. Like we should be able to do the same thing, just having those equal rights. So it's just that, again, personal knowledge of your origins and your truth and also that um, equal, equal right as, as everyone else. And even then, you could pay <clears throat> the thousands of dollars and wait the years. Oh, not and if you it. don't get the right judge, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I could just say, nope. Yeah, and there's no, there's no recourse. It's very, it's very arbitrary. It's not, there's no set, well, if you have this need for it, that need for it, this need for it. No, it's just arbitrary to whatever that judge Feels. is thinking or feeling that day right. towards you or whatever it might be. Right. Um, so there's this that you don't have standing the same as any other adult. That you don't have agency or status. That you you have to have someone stand for you. Mm -hmm. You can't just go as a citizen and ask for this like you would ask for any other birth certificate, death certificate, marriage certificate, any other documentation that's issued by the state. This is just like that little book, The Choice Chosen Baby. Mm -hmm. They have taken these and put them in the state's secret closet yep and in order to get into the secret closet you got to have somebody with the key and that means lawyers courts lawyers guns and money you know lawyers courts mm -hmm. judges the apparatus of the state and uh, the first thing that you hear from many people is but what about the mother? She was promised privacy, and this is going to dredge all this up and cause her pain. So what was your experience when you did locate your birth mother? My uh, birth mom, she had never intended to be a secret from me. In fact, she said that Mine was a, a private adoption, so it was it was done through a lawyer between, essentially, my mom and, and my adoptive parents. It was all just done through the lawyer. Um, she said that the, the lawyer told her that they would they would tell her who I was. I mean, tell her tell tell me who she was is what I'm trying to say. Um, when I was older, I don't I don't I don't even know if it was. I, an adult or at what point but just when I was older that she she wanted to be known to me so I mean no one ever told her anything different uh, she didn't ask to be protected she didn't ask to be anonymous um, she fully wanted me to know and on the other hand the lawyer in this is my opinion because I don't know, haven't, can't speak to the lawyer, but that he was telling both sides two things. So he's telling her, yes, they will, they'll share that information with, with me when I'm older. He's telling my adoptive parents that she doesn't want me to know who she is. And that, that's not the only situation where it, talking to each 
the lawyer told us this, and then she says the lawyer told her that, and it was like he's just telling both sides whatever to get the transaction completed. Um, and even in the, like in the anonymity side of things, so not only with the birth, with my birth mom, but with my birth father, uh, you know, he never intended to be anonymous or anything either. My birth mom never intended to, for me to not know who he was. However, when it came to the adoption itself, she was told by the lawyer to say that she either didn't know who he was or that she wouldn't give his name just to make the adoption easier. So she, she said she actually did not, she did not like that at all. Like she wanted to give his name because she didn't, uh, she knew exactly who he was and she didn't want to come off as, uh, you know, like, oh, well, she was sleeping around and didn't know which one of the 20 guys it was or something like that. She knew exactly who it was, but they told her, the lawyer told her, don't give a name, either say you refuse to give the name or that you don't know who it is so that they don't have to go find him and get paperwork signed and have Make him consent. Make this as seamless as possible. Don't right. cause problems. Right. Let's get this done. Right. Right. And, that's, and so that's what happened. And my experience was that my birth mother loved meeting me. Now she, oh, was, yeah, af mine did too. she was afraid to begin with. Who is this person? Is this person putting me on? Mm -hmm. Do they want something from me? Are they trying to make me look bad? But, you know, is this person going to be a problem? Right. Once she realized how lovable I was and what a cuddly <laughs> kind of a person. And we, <laughs> we had this wonderful relationship and I held her hand the week before she died and I went to her funeral and I helped to scatter her ashes and, you know, it was a very meaningful relationship. But my position, I don't know how you feel, I'm just asking for a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I do not think that knowing who my biological mother or father is entitles me to a relationship with them, birthday cards, Christmas dinners. No. Right. It's just a fact-finding process. Correct. Finding those facts is for our own knowledge. Like you said, it does not change uh, your ability to have a relationship with them, you know, uh, doesn't force them to be open to you. It also does not change any, let's say, inheritance uh, oh, no. or family connections that way because some people I'm are, sure show are you that. <laughs> afraid of that. Yeah, I mean, not, you know, people just like, oh, oh, this adoptee's going to come back and find us and... You know, demand money, want money or something like that. Once we are adopted, our legal ties to our family are completely severed, not just to our parents, but to every biological family member, past, present and future. And that's something I don't think a lot of people realize. Like when, when my relationship to my biological family through no choice of my own was severed, I'm no longer related to legally, you know, in the eyes of the, of, of the law, to a great-great-great-grandfather, any different than I am to a niece or nephew that's born 20 years after I'm adopted. Who They didn't have a choice in that. I didn't have a choice in that. My siblings who are all younger than me on each side of the family, they didn't have any choice in that. So I have a sister and three brothers 
in the eyes of the law, I'm an only child. I have no siblings, and none of us had a choice in any of that. My little emphasis is something slightly different. As a career investigative journalist, I'm interested in, yes, there are such things as facts, <laughs> and you can ascertain, just like in science, you can try to figure certain things out. There are many unknowns. And so we are born in a place. Mm -hmm. And on my original birth certificate, it says I was born in Macon, Georgia. On my official birth certificate by my adopted parents, which is filed after the fact, it says I was born in Albany, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Albany. <laughs> and uh, so I was adopted not by private adoption, not through the church, not through the little sisters of the whatever. I was adopted through the state of Georgia Department of Public Welfare. So I was a little white welfare baby. Uh, so the state was the actor. I was a ward of the state. I was the child of the state. So for four months, state of Georgia was my daddy and my mom and they put me in this foster home. Okay, the state, governed by the General Assembly, the state assembly made the laws that provided for that birth certificate. And on that birth certificate, they put, ever what you want to call it, a intentionally, factually inaccurate statement mm -hmm. that I was born in Albany, Georgia. Let's forget about the mother, father, anything else. They created what can only be described as a legal fiction. Mm -hmm. So for purposes of genealogy, family history, simply nailing down what the facts of the situation are, ethnicity, origin story, all of that, take church, take spirituality, take trauma, take psych all out of it, simply for purposes of establishing a fact. Stuart Watson was born baby boy Bowen, April the 8th, 1959, Macon, Georgia, Macon Hospital. Here's who the doctor was. Here's the time he was born. Simply to establish that took me getting a lawyer, going to a judge, opening these records, using these, getting a certified birth certificate, sending it to the Department of Vital Statistics. I had to go before the judge. I had to say that not having that particular piece of paper caused me psychological harm, which I could say, but it's a little bit silly compared to all the other psychological <laughs> harm. So uh, you're nodding. I mean, like you approach it from a different direction about that this ought to be a basic human right. I approach it from the state ought to tell the truth in its yeah. legal documents. Like, unless I'm going into witness protection for some reason, the state as a matter of course should not be creating fictional documents. I think we were, we were put in the baby witness protection program. Did you not know that, Stuart? <laughs> I was born in Norfolk, Virginia. My birth certificate is from the state of Georgia. It says I was born in Clayton County, Georgia. 
I wasn't even born in that state. But the laws of Georgia actually say that the adoptive parents can choose, and I don't, I don't know in your case, like if the state put that's where you were born before the adoption happened or, or when that change took place, but the statutes actually say that in Georgia, the adoptive parent can choose any city in Georgia and put that on the birth certificate. And, and they, the premise behind all of that is, again, it's, it's a falsehood. And it's a falsehood to, again, play into this as born unto and this kind of pretending state. You don't have to, to explain why your parents are from, you know, Atlanta, but it says you were born in Savannah or whatever it might be. Like they can just pick and choose what city they want it to say. Well, what that also means is your adopted mom and dad can decide for themselves whether they're going to acknowledge that you were adopted mm -hmm. or whether they're going to straight up tell everyone that you are their biological child, which they can do. Mm -hmm. And there are consequences for that. If you live in kind of a fictional denial of something, there's a psychological consequence for that. The truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. The truth is incredibly liberating because it opens the way to healing. It opens the way to a kind of restorative process. And let's just look at it face on. If, if, we, if we say, I mean, there's a couple of things here. Like people will say, oh, you get to, you, you can choose your family, right? That, speaking of maybe they don't have a great relationship with their family, but they choose their friends to be their quote unquote family, right? Sure. And, and things like that. Um, you know, and also this, you know, adoption is beautiful and stuff. Okay, well, so both of these, if you can choose your family, then why is adoption seen as something that is, you know, taboo to talk about or allowed to be uh, these true facts to be realistic um, and live in that so that, like you're saying, we love each other because you care for me and um, I, I love you not, doesn't have to be because we're pretending you're my, my original parents. Um, and also this, you know, adoption is beautiful. If it's so beautiful, why are we creating falsehoods and lies and secrets and locking documents away? You know, I mean, all of that, like, can't we love each other and be a family without the lies? And, and, and um, that's not very beautiful. And it, it's, it's only setting up a situation that could very well and, and likely will at some point explode <laughs> when someone decides oh wait, we should address the facts here. And, and when I say explode, sometimes that might only be within the adoptee dealing with it. Sometimes, sometimes that's with the adoptive parents too. I mean, they, there's issues for them in keeping these secrets and, and even causing, uh, and not discussing things, even, even causing marital issues, you know, or issues with their family that they don't wanna, they just wanna pretend and not, not discuss, so. Um, you know, and, and issues with, with state documents and, and adoptees trying to have their truth and the facts of their birth and then get up going to get a passport or a driver's license and having issues because we're, we're locked out of having our original documents to prove where we came from. You know, some 
can get things just fine and others may have a delayed birth certificate and then enter all kinds of problems. Everybody says, oh, people are going to use these documents to find you know, the birth mother and kind of publicly shame her. <laughs> and you and I both know in the day and age of spit in the tube for $69.95 and then all of a sudden join Ancestry or 23andMe, then all kinds of things pop up. Mm -hmm. and, and so what, who was it who said, one member of our group said, do you want us contacting every one of the cousins <gasps> and asking them, or do you just want us to go to the birth mother first? Right, yeah. If it's, if, if your, your search for your, your truth is so you can, can uh, search for your family and attempt a reunion, uh, going through ancestry, unless a, a, a direct mother-father DNA connection pops up, that's exactly what you're going to have to do is, is start contacting all these cousins, aunts, uncles, you know, everybody. And so they're all going to, going to know what's going on. Um, the cat's out of the bag at that point if there had been a secret, right? Because you're starting to figure all that out. Instead of if you just have the direct facts from your, your birth certificate and say, oh, it's this person, you look up and find that person and contact them directly. I mean, I, and, and I just don't even know, too, like what, what were, if, if it was done in an attempt to protect us, like I don't know uh, myself and most of the adoptees that I know, like what was, what was I being protected from again? Because, I mean, knowing where I was born and my parents' names, I mean, even just that basic information helped me tremendously just to know that. It definitely didn't hurt me in any sort of way. And then even in going further and finding them and having a reunion, that didn't, didn't hurt me either. Um, they weren't horrible people. And, and, and most, uh, most biological families, parents uh, weren't either. But... You know, there I don't know. Were it's, some. it's either that. There's some, yeah, definitely some. When I'm, you know, 20, 25, 45, whatever age you are, and you want to know the facts about who and where you came from, you're an adult. You should get to know that. Facts are the facts. Like you said, I mean, the truth, the truth will set you free. Truth and transparency are, are healing. This exists within a certain time and you. U.S. history and world history, this particular practice. Mm -hmm. And it'll be very interesting, I think, 50 years down the road and 100 years down the road, how we look at this in terms of what is a family, in terms of how to avoid or address. Mm -hmm. Because there will still be children who will be separated because of some circumstance or another. Sure. Could be health, could be that the mother dies, could be mother was in a traffic accident or shot. Sure. And the child has to be raised by someone who is not the biological mother or father. Mm -hmm. I mean, adoption as we know it has only existed for, what, 80 years, essentially? As that legal 
part. As I this, mean, the right. practice is going right, right, right. on, but I'm not, as a legal. So I like to talk about adoption as a separate thing from caring for a child. Right. So adoption, caring for a child is bringing them into your home or family and caring for them. Right. Okay. Then there's adoption, which is that legal process that happens is how I will define it. Um, that legal severance from the biological family that makes you now legally related to whoever it is that has taken you in and completed this adoption process and you are to be treated as born unto legally uh, to, to that person or people. Prior to the last 80 years, when there was a child that needed to be cared for, they were cared for by other family members. They were brought into, and you kind of mentioned this, they were just kind of brought into the fold. Even, even if the family wasn't capable, then within the community, okay? Um, the, the black community is known for being very well at um, taking care of their own and keeping kids within the community, you know. Right, the baby scoop era, 1940s to early 1970s, was almost exclusively a white, white. phenomenon. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that, there are many reasons for that, but it had mm -hmm. to do with basically supply and demand. Mm -hmm. That white families were not adopting black children and white families had the means, and so that black children were typically adopted within the community or the family without the legal paperwork. Right. And there was also much more of an opportunity for disclosure of, I knew who you, your actual mm -hmm. father was, I right. know who your mother was. And so there was much more of a pathway informally towards reunion. Mm -hmm. right. um, white, white babies. Well, and sometimes they weren't even completely separated from their family. They, right. might, they might be cared for by, an aunt. by a Sally down the street. Aunt even. or grandmother. But or... they still know like, well, your grandma lives across town and, and all right. this. Like they weren't even, it, it wasn't this big separation, this severance and this, and this um, you know. The secrecy. Right, right. So it, it wasn't even necessarily that there needed to be a reunion, you know. And in a lot of those cases too, uh, Okay, maybe maybe mom was not around for a period of time for whatever reason, or unable to to care for the child for a period of time. But let's say Sally down the street helps care for this child for three or four years, not pretending it's her own child, but caring for the child like her own children. Mom is then in a, a place where she's then able to parent again for whatever reason. And the child goes back down the street and is raised by mom. Right. Not like, oh no, it's mine now, and yeah, I'm not giving it back. Way. There's a pathway. Yeah, I mean, my parents were definitely uh, that was uh, a fear of theirs. You, you you mentioned like the the mom would become, you know, able to to care for me or something and, and come take me away. That was a fear that they had. Uh, my mom has has talked to me about. Uh, being afraid if I was in the newspaper, you know, being in honor course and my picture's on the front page or your name's on the honor roll or whatever it might be, that somehow that would lead them to come, come find me and search me out, which 
I was over here hoping that would happen <laughs> as my parents are hoping that wouldn't happen. And we weren't even talking about that, you know, and it wasn't that I, even in that, it was not that I was not happy in my home. It was not that I didn't love my parents or anything like that, but it's just like, who and where did I come from? Where are they at? Surely they are missing me. And are they looking for me? Maybe they'll come find me. Like I, I wanted them to come find me because I wanted to have answers. If, I mean, I wonder, I don't, I don't know how I felt. I, I wonder how I would have felt differently and not had so much imaginary narratives in my head about my family. You're trying to make up like what they might look like or what their names might be or what they might do. How much of that would have been quelled by just knowing my story, just even knowing where I was born and what their names were, because instead I had to constantly wonder about that. I mean, I wondered about that a lot. I wrote, I would write stories, I would make up stories and write them out sometimes. Sometimes they're just in my head. Sometimes I write them out. I didn't share them with anybody. I thought I would get in trouble or upset someone if they knew I was thinking these things and wondering these things. I would throw them away or hide them, you know, fold them up and hide them in places and stuff like that, hoping no one would find them. Like, why couldn't I have just known? I don't know. If you had to predict right now, do you think we'll be successful next year in opening these original birth certificates? Do you think it's going to take years or um, decades or... What's your, what's your gut telling you? I feel very optimistic. I feel that so many of the parts and pieces that have come together to create even where we're at and with our committee have really just been quite, um, quite a blessing and um, beyond what I, I feel we could do like I I don't know each and every person on our committee because you know we all have this this superpower <laughs> yeah just this I don't know we all have these unique um, stories and abilities and um, skills that come and fit together so perfectly in in my opinion and and Courtney who's the uh, the other like co you know chair of everything so I feel very optimistic I, and, I, and I, I feel that way also because of some of the progress that has been made in the last few years where records have been opened in a few other states. We've had Alabama. Yeah, Alabama, um, New York and New Jersey were just opened. Tennessee went fully open this year. So we, we had restrictions in Tennessee, the contact veto and, and things like that that no longer exist, you know, so there are currently 10 states that are fully unrestricted with open access so that adoptees can obtain their original birth certificates. However, you know, there are how many states that even last year, five, six, I, I, I can't think off the top of my head that were, that had pushes in this direction that were shut down. Texas is one, didn't make it. Maryland, right? I believe I was one, um, but uh, the fact that two of those states touch Georgia, that they're adjacent or contiguous, I think 
that might be. So there's like these, these, these positives and negatives of some states where it just, it, it, it's not that they voted it down in a lot of instances. It's just that it didn't get brought to the floor for a vote. Like it's not seen as important by non-adoptive persons because they don't get it, right? They don't understand our need for this information. They don't understand the discrimination, how we've been places this other class of citizens that aren't allowed to have our own documents. And so they just don't, they don't see it as important. And so they, it just a lot of times doesn't even get brought to the floor for a vote. It's not that people are saying, no, we don't want them to have it, but it's just, eh, we got other things to deal with. So I'm very optimistic, but um, cautiously, I guess. I hope it doesn't take a long time. Um, there's, you know, there's adoptees that are struggling every single day, and we need to make this happen, not only in Georgia, but it needs to happen across the Southeast and across all of the United States. How do you know where to go in life when you don't even know where you came from? It's really hard to know and feel that you have a complete sense of self when you don't. If we get struck by lightning right now and all that remains is this audio, uh, what is your legacy? Mm. I hope that my legacy would just be for people to understand that adoption is not all that we've been led to believe that adoptees are struggling and they, they need help. They need support, they need encouragement. They need people to come around them and love them and give them space to express themselves. Um, and that you can both understand all of the uh, goodness that, is, that may, have, may have happened in our lives if we were adopted, like if we had a good family or you know, went on to better things and also acknowledging the, the huge, tremendous loss um, that, that comes with, with being relinquished, severed, and, and adopted. But that we can have both of those and we can be more whole by having our truth, bringing all of that together, not denying any part of us, whether that be our feelings or whether that be our origins. And that's, I, I think the, the quote from the Catholic Mothers for Truth and Transparency where it says truth and transparency is, is healing for all. I think that kind of sums it up. Let's, let's truthful, truthful about adoption, truthful about the facts of our origins, um, allowing us to be truthful about our feelings. Um, I think that is the only way for adoptees to have this, you know, better sense of self, better, um, you know, healthy life and relationships. And so truth and transparency, I hope, is is what people will um, see from anything, I guess, that I speak about and, and try to work for in adoption.
Jamie, thanks for all that you've You're done. Welcome. I appreciate it. And thanks for your time. I appreciate you uh, listening to me. God bless. Thank you. Jamie had a business appointment at 11, and I really appreciate her time that morning fitting me into her busy schedule. Uh, next week, I stop on the way home in Weaverville, just outside of Asheville. Um, stopped for lunch and got a white duck taco, and then went out to Weaverville to see a friend of mine out there, and that podcast is next week. We sat out in the park on a beautiful fall day, and we talk about nature and spirituality, and it's really this beautiful, connected conversation. That is next week with my friend Sarah. Hope to see you then. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to anyone and everyone who has supported Man Listening from the very beginning in whatever way you have. Thank you so much. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear. Being connected to the planet, being connected to plants specifically. So plants have their own consciousness and they've proved this. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.